It's Living the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. For joining us this week on Living the Bream podcast, Senator Marsha Blackburn. She is a Republican from Tennessee. She's also got a brand new book out called The Mind of a Conservative Woman. Senator, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you and talk about what has become one of my favorite topics, and it is conservative women and their role in today's world. Yeah, and you have talked about, and we've discussed this uh, on television as well, about the fact that the media often treats conservative women differently than it does women on the left. Not everyone, but there are you know those within the media who... Um, have different standards, uh, feel that it's okay to mock conservative women in a way that wouldn't be acceptable for women on the left. Um, Tell us about how you feel about your role as a conservative woman in the spotlight, who certainly takes plenty of criticism. Yes, and you know, the fact that there is that double standard is one of the reasons that I wrote this book. And Shannon, I will tell you, it's the reason I dedicated this book to all the conservative women that I have served with, whether they're at the local, state, or federal level. Because while liberal women are elevated and glamorized and applauded, conservative women are many times told, your voice does not need to be heard. And they're ridiculed and they're mocked. And there is not that consistency of treatment that people expect to see and want to see. And many times, women that are new to the public space or new to elective office are absolutely horrified with how the media chooses to treat them. And for me, I realized early on that it was not going to be a level playing field. And my goal is to be a happy warrior every single day for faith, family, freedom, hope, and opportunity. And I just have decided I was going to push past the pettiness of the left. And I was going to focus on preserving that faith, family, freedom, hope, and opportunity. So this book is part guidebook. It is part history of what conservatism really is. I've dedicated an entire chapter to the Stepford Wives of liberalism to show what it is that liberals do is they manufacture their talking points and as they push back against conservative principles, constitutionality in the way our government operates. You mentioned Stepford Wives. How do you answer those on the left who would say that's what conservative women are? They look a certain way. They talk a certain way. They defer to men. They are, they tend to be pro-life. And an assessment that they think is not in line with representing women's rights, women's values in 2020. And, you know, one of the things that is so interesting about this is the mainstream media has cooked up a caricature of what conservatives are. They think that men are old and gray-headed and locked in a room hoarding the spoils of their careers. And what do they say about women? That you are left a hangover from the 1950s and you're totally out of step. And they're wrong on that. So in the book, we talk about what conservatism actually is. And I go back into Jerusalem and Athens and London and Philadelphia 
and look at that history. Look at the 12 tribes of Israel and how we get our principles of federalism. And then look at the writings of Russell Kirk and before him going back to de Tocqueville and Edmund Burke and the French Revolution and uh, William F. Buckley. And look at this, how all of that brings us to modern day conservatism that says we want the best for every individual. We want every individual to have equal access to opportunity. We want everyone to be able to excel, to dream those big dreams and make those come true. Do we believe government should make your decisions for you? No, we think that you are smart. You can make those decisions for yourself. Are there women across the aisle that you can work with in the Senate or during your time in the House that there were issues you could get together on as women, unique concerns, that you felt like you could have a good working relationship, a friendship, those kinds of things? Oh, absolutely. And I've had the opportunity to be in a Bible study group that was bipartisan. And when I was in the House and chairman of Comms and Tech, I did an incredible amount of bipartisan work, looking at dealing with the issues of human trafficking, protecting women and children, making certain that we expanded high-speed internet into rural areas, and continuing in the Senate to focus on making broadband accessible, closing that digital divide. Uh, Senator Feinstein and I recently did a project with the Smithsonian to bring together stories from women that are in the Senate and use this in celebration of the centennial of women's suffrage. So today, when we're recording this, we have just a couple of hours ago gotten the president's updated list of potential Supreme Court nominees that he is uh, going to tap should he have another opportunity while he is president to fill a seat on the Supreme Court. The reaction from the left was very swift and not very positive. I want to read something from Jenny Lawson from Planned Parenthood Votes. Their executive director, she says, today's shortlist confirms Trump and his anti-abortion allies in Congress want to place justices on the Supreme Court who will overturn Roe v. Wade, restrict safe, legal abortion, and undermine your civil and reproductive rights. Uh, they go on um, to talk about specific um, senators that they're worried about, that they're actively campaigning against, uh, and that the president has promised to appoint justices who would overturn Roe v. Wade. And they're sounding the alarm to the left, saying um, the attacks on reproductive health and rights are felt most intensely by those with low incomes, black people, other people of color, LGBTQ+, and people at the intersection of these identities. So they go on to say how those people already face a lot of barriers and the president only wants to make their lives even more difficult based on this list. How do you respond? One of the things that they should know is that President Trump has done a tremendous job of not only Supreme Court justices, but also circuit court justices, judges, and district court judges. Shannon, today we were in judiciary with a hearing for five judges. We are going to vote out more judges tomorrow at the district court level. And here is the thing. What the president is doing is putting constitutionalist, originalist on the bench. Are they activist judges? No, they are not. And a lot of these organizations would prefer to have an activist judge on the bench. They would prefer that because they feel like it helps them achieve their goals 
a little bit more easily if it is an activist judge. What do the American people say? That's not what they want. They want to have a level playing field. They want judges that are going to be fair. And, you know, one of the things that has really interested me, and it actually helped to bring me to writing this book, is I would be speaking to women's groups around the country. Many times I would hear women say, you know, Marsha, I'm not Democrat or Republican. I'm an independent. I look at the issues and I look at the candidates and I kind of sort it out. And after a few years, I started asking people, so tell me what your filter is as you're sorting it out and thinking it through. And I would hear things like, I want someone who's going to abide by the Constitution, the rule of law, show respect for the rule of law. I want equal treatment. I want justice for all. I want government out of my way. I want everyone to have access to opportunities. I realized most people will give you that center, center-right construct. Most women will do this as they identify what is important to them. So, of course, you're going to have these groups on the left oppose these judges that are the nominees or the names. They're going to oppose it all, and we expect them to do that because it is not a person that holds the political philosophy that they would like to have. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bream today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash bream. Well, I mean, you mentioned all of the seats that have been filled. Um, certainly in the Senate, there has been a big push for the Senate leader, um, you on the Judiciary Committee, uh, Republicans there, uh, and others to get this through. And that seems to be one of the things that the left is most worried about this fall. And one of the, we know from exit polling in 2016, that the Supreme Court, which then had an open seat after the death of Justice Scalia, was one of the top issues for people. And we would expect that may be the case this time too. We don't have an open seat. Um, so we don't have the same level of heightened drama and interest, but we're seeing a lot of pressure on the former vice president, Joe Biden, to release his own list. So folks can look and see who he has in mind for the highest court. Do you think he will? You know, that is such an interesting question. And a couple of us were talking about that today. And because you have to say, if he does this, are they going to be individuals that are activists, that are politically involved and activists in trying to make legislation from the bench? Because when you look 
at conservatives and independents. They do not want that. They want things to go through the legislative process. So I, I think that if Biden were to release his list, and I think that would be a very good thing, it would give the opportunity for people to see where he is going to go. Likewise, it would be an insight into where Kamala Harris would go if she were to be the ones to take the reins from Joe Biden. So, you know, Shannon, we probably would learn quite a bit from their releasing a list. I'm curious. I always like to have a chance to research people. And whenever uh, judges are in the mix, I, it's one of my favorite areas to look at. So I'll be interested to see if their campaign does as well. It gives us a little head start on, on digging into people and, and their backgrounds. And when they have a judicial trail, to be able to read that up as well. A lot of people probably don't like to sit around reading um, opinions and briefs, but I'm a weirdo who likes to do that. So hopefully <laughs> we get a list. I have this well, list of 20 and see, you're right about that because they do have that trail of opinions and writings that you can look at and say, okay, where are they on these issues? And as I said, women by and large will tell you uh, over and over, they want fairness, they want equality, they want justice, they want somebody who appreciates and respects the rule of law and the Constitution. They see that, by and large, whether they're conservative or independent, as what should be the foundation. I want to talk to you, too, about, I know that you have, and a number of other senators, you've joined together on some big tech legislation, and I know that for you specifically, um, you're worried about censorship, especially of pro-life or conservative messages. And what we're told again and again by people who do studies is um, that's not accurate. They're not um, targeted. Um, they may raise examples and, and raise their voices and, and um, get headlines when they experience these kinds of things. But that big tech doesn't have uh, specific ulterior motives or, or algorithms that are disenfranchising uh, conservatives per se. So what is your proposal? Yes, uh, Chairman Graham, Chairman Wicker, Commerce and Judiciary Committee have joined me in this effort. I'm on each committee and I have led the Big Tech Task Force for Judiciary Committee. Our proposal is to reform and revisit Section 230. There's been a lot of conversation about this because of the perceived censorship of conservatives. The president had a tremendous uh, White House roundtable on this issue some time ago. And what we know is this, there is not going to be any accountability for bias online until we reform Section 230, and there will be no alternative platforms until we reform Section 230. So, innovators still need some Section 230 protections. So we're focusing on a couple of different things. One is a definition of a content provider, an information content provider, and specifying that this is a person or an entity that creates, develops, or editorializes on content. And Shannon, this is important because what has happened to some sites is they get shut down when they have things posted in their 
comment section. Now, another thing that we're doing is removing a phrase in 230 that is otherwise objectionable. This is where the subjectiveness has come in, whether it's an algorithm, whether it is a content moderator that makes a decision. And we're putting some specific language in there when we talk about things that are not covered in this liability shield that you are responsible for. And you take the subjectivity out of this by removing that word and giving some specifics like promoting terrorism, promoting self-harm, unlawful content. So that begins to fill it in a little bit. And then we look at the reasonable, uh, the reasonableness standard and content conditions on content moderation using the liability shield should be there on the reasonableness standard. Um, can an entity only restrict access to content if it is objectively reasonable and that it falls into one of these three categories that I have mentioned. And then we're clarifying that the liability protections only apply in instances that platforms choose to restrict access to certain content. What this does is just say, okay, these are the times that you can use these liability protections. Here is how you condition your content moderation. This is some of the specifics that are categories that are not allowed. And here is what a content provider is. Well, there's a lot to be done there. And it seems like there's been a support from all sides on taking a look at um, the role of these platforms, whether they have become public forums, how they should be regulated or not regulated. So um, we know you've got a heavy lift and a lot of work to do there on the Hill that isn't necessarily just on one side or the other. Okay, we have a couple minutes left. We are talking with Senator Marshall Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, author of the brand new book, The Mind of a Conservative Woman. We always like to find out on our podcast uh, what you do when you are not, you know, a, a member of Congress and up there um, advocating and fighting and pushing um, and working on things you think will benefit the country. What do you do for fun? Oh, I love to garden. I love to cook. I spend time with my grandchildren. I am a voracious reader. I just uh, love uh, reading and therefore love writing also. So those are some of my favorite things. My husband and I, and I actually talk about this a little bit in the book, how important it is to have those respites for the soul, mm -hmm. to, quiet, uh, to quiet your soul, and uh, to help you to focus and get that, that inner strength. So um, those are all activities that I like. And Shannon, I still cook Sunday lunch. This is a wonderful tradition in our family. And every Sunday after church, everyone comes to my house and we're all there for Sunday lunch. And it's a great time to sit at the table, enjoy one another's company, encourage one another. And the only rule is that you have to leave your devices at the door and bring your appetites to the table. 
I love it. That is fantastic. I'm going to see about getting the Breams invited to the Sunday lunch. And we <laughs> promise not to look at our phones or to tweet while we're there. Um, Senator Blackburn, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will see you around the Hill when uh, the restrictions ease up a little bit and back on the show ASAP. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much.